Mini episode 1365 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. This is our annual FDH Lounge NFL preview division by division. You have with you today two original FDH Lounge dignitaries, I, Rick Morris, and my good friend Chris Galloway. We go through every year looking at the eight divisions in the league, telling you what we think as we're looking team by team here, making some projections for the season ahead, and uh, it, as always, uh, when we do the AFC East, which we're about to do here right now, we'll hit a few big picture things here at the outset, some things for the season, and kind of get that out of the way so we don't need to hit those for the uh, subsequent divisions. So uh, as always, uh, if it's August, uh, it must be that time of year to break this down with my longtime close personal friend, Chris Galloway. Chris, good to have you back in, my man. Rick, it's always a pleasure to jump into the lounge and talk a little NFL football with you. It's great to have you here, and uh, we are, as I alluded to you just off air a second ago here, in the midst of uh, what will be our second consecutive uh, COVID-19 season, what with the recent spike that we have seen, and uh, the decree that has come down from the league office, which uh, i got to say I think is probably a good way to go, and uh, you know, and I'm not always one to put over anything Roger Goodell does. That's an understatement, but uh, we'll see uh, if he has the nads to stick to it. This decree that if unvaccinated players end up causing a team not to be able to play on a given Sunday, that team will forfeit their game. And uh, I understand that it's a fairly decent prop bet out there right now of will there or will there not be at least one forfeited game in the league this year. And in looking at it, and looking at how easily apparently the Delta variant can spread, and the fact that a lot of teams still have a significant portion of unvaccinated players, I will go out on a limb and say yes. I think there will be at least one forfeit this year if the league sticks to its guns on this. And uh, rather than push back the season or anything like that, I think the league will stick to its guns. Now that we have an 18-game season coming up, it just gets that much harder to, uh, you know, push back games as they did last year. And no games were pushed back a full week last year, although they certainly came close a few times. So what do you see when you look at the landscape, Chris? Do you think it could lead to uh, possibly any forfeits this year and uh, any kind of disruptions? Well, I think it could. But what I would say is I don't think it will. And and my reasoning is as such. They managed to get through and play every single game last year and this is in a time before uh, the vaccine was available. Yes. And and so what I would say was this. Yes, there are some teams that are that are lagging in terms of vaccinations. Then there are teams like the Falcons today that announced they reached 100%. Uh, you have teams like the Cleveland Browns who have said that they're they are now over 90%, which as of, you know, at that time meant that at least 81 of the 90 players in camp 
were vaccinated, okay. along with the entire coaching staff for the Browns. So that meant that there were nine players at, the, at sort of the beginning of training camp that out of the, out of the entire staff and players, which is going to be close to, if you think of all the Browns employees and staff, coaches and everybody, you know, that's 150 people and there's nine that aren't. Right. So this is a very small percentage. My guess is that most teams are going to reach numbers up into that strata um, before the season even starts. And I think the interesting thing about the, about the edict from, from Goodell and the league is um, pay careful attention to how it's worded. If an unvaccinated player causes an outbreak and a team is not able to compete, they will forfeit a, a game. Well, how are they going to determine an outbreak was caused by an unvaccinated player when, to your point, vaccinated people are getting COVID uh, via breakthroughs? Mm -hmm. So, one, you've got to prove that an unvaccinated person caused an outbreak. What is the likelihood of an outbreak within a group of a bunch of vaccinated folks? Um, I don't think it's likely in the sense of uh, that it would get large enough um, and not be able to be contained with the protocols that NFL teams are play, putting in place. So I don't think you're going to see that. Um, I think that the longer term issue is going to be, you know, as we push through the season and then maybe even as we get into next year, at what point are leagues going to have to acknowledge that everyone's, you know, we have all our players vaccinated, all our staff vaccinated, and so we're testing, you know, on, a, on an interval of every couple weeks or a week or whatever, and players are still going to end up getting this and playing with it and then being found after the fact to have been positive. Mm -hmm. At some point, there's going to be or have to be a realization that we're going to have to start looking at illnesses versus positive test results. And actually, this was a talking point that I read a little article from a British uh, doctor and uh, virologist who basically said, this is about a week or two weeks ago, he said, we have to start moving past focusing on the positive tests as more and more people are vaccinated, we've got to stop obsessing over those numbers of who tests positive. What we need to focus is on is serious illnesses, hospitalizations, and deaths. Stop worrying about positive tests and start focusing on those other numbers. And his point was is that eventually, if we don't stop that, we've got ourselves in this sort of negative cycle of sort of fear-mongering. So you may have 100 positive tests, right? Mm -hmm. but, because, but people are vaccinated, so only two of them are seriously ill, right? So what the what he's saying is, you know, the real focus should be, hey, two people are ill, not 100, like the media does now, 100 positive tests. So I think it's all these leagues are eventually going to reach a point where they have to start focusing on that. Is there somebody who's, are there players playing that are positive, but if nobody's ill with symptoms, are we really going to start forfeiting games? Uh, how does that become different than players playing while they have the flu? I mean, everybody celebrates the Michael Jordan flu game, right. and the flu kills people. So, uh, you know, these are the things that I think at some point leagues are going to have to start to 
to, to wrestle with and, and move forward on. But I don't think there'll be any forfeits this year. I, I think the protocol schemes have in place, and I think the vagueness of the NFL's language on this makes it more of an empty threat than a real threat, meaning how are you going to prove an unvaccinated person created an outbreak in a team that's 95% vaccinated or 100% vaccinated? I just don't see it. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, any time Roger Goodell's NFL uh, you know, threatens you with a good time, so to speak, they never follow through on it. So, you know, that is a possibility as well. The other thing being, too, everything is a function of the backdrop of the time that we live in. Having said that, uh, it'll be easier uh, to do what you're saying to do if we're not living in a climate where you have multiple states, folks on our side of the spectrum don't much like to talk about what states they are, with overflowing hospitals, and uh, you, you have field hospitals once again getting built certain places. I just saw one in Mississippi the other day in a friggin' garage somewhere. So in a backdrop where you don't have the overflow of that type of destruction, it'll be easier to look at it in the way that you want to see it looked at. Well, and I think you're right about that. And I don't expect the leagues to sort of lead our society forward on that, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's our public health officials that need to do that. That's our elected officials that need to do that. Um, that's, that's their job. It's not the job of, you know, baseball or the NFL to say, well, you know, we all have to learn to live with it. Um, However, you do hit on something interesting when you talk about states. And this is the thing that I think is a thing to watch this year. Um, you have states that are refusing to put in place mask mandates. Now, obviously, as a private entity, um, you know, teams can require fans to wear masks. Right. Um, right now, teams are planning to have full stadiums. But now you're going to be getting at teams in different states, depending on their their political persuasion of their leadership are going to be looking to do different things. I think this fall as the surge sort of uh, continues to ramp up before it eventually will drop off later in the year um, as it has done in England. Um, I think, you know, so you're going to see a difference potentially of the, the Miami Dolphins in Florida, right? So DeSantis isn't going to place the limits. Right. Um, but then you're going to turn around and you're going to go to, you're going to go to uh, New York uh, or say New Jersey, and the and the giant, and they've placed a limit on how many people can be at the stadium. So Miami Dolphins have a full stadium, right? And then the next week they travel to New Jersey and to play the Jets, and the Jets can only have ten thousand people in the stadium. Yes. So that's I think this year going to be the biggest difference is you may end up seeing you know in California, right? What does California do? I have tickets to the Browns Chargers game. Okay. It, it, that's in October, uh, October 10th. Is that game going to even happen? I mean, is, 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 is L.A., is the county, is the state going to even allow that to take place, knowing their political leadership right. at all? So I think, you know, so once again, those could be interesting elements for teams that may have a disadvantage by playing in empty stadiums versus, let's say, Ohio doesn't limit and the Cleveland Browns have 67,000 screaming rabbit fans. Right. Um, so I think there's going to be a competitive disadvantage. So and and I think the NFL will be loath to limit, you know, everyone to, you know, they, to try to be fair and say, well, no one can have more than ten thousand if if 
New York says 10,000, then no one can have more than 10,000, right? They're not going to do that. They're not going to limit their revenue. Right. So um, they're not going to put, you know, try to create some sort of equality. So I think that may end up proving to be an interesting element as the season rolls on in terms of home field advantage. Very good point. And uh, even for a couple of political nerds like us, uh, you wouldn't have necessarily thought that the concept of federalism would have worked its way into our NFL preview for the year. But, uh, you know, there you go. Yeah. Go, go pound a <laughs> shot if you thought we were going to do it. We work it in there. And, and by the way, Chris, I'm going to tell you, I think you are going to get to see the game that you want to get to see, because I don't think that by that point in time, Governor Larry Elder will stop you from going to see the Browns in that game. <laughs> Well, I, <laughs> well, he might not, but uh, I don't think the yeah the recall may have been. Ha- well, we'll see. We'll yeah. See well, <laughs> we shall see. I'm not. Sure, I'm not exactly sure what the timeline is on that whole thing. But <laughs> I don't know either. I don't know either. I, I have to go back and look at uh, whenever old uh, Schwarzenegger worked his way in there, but. Uh, you know, this, uh, as I alluded well, to... I can't remember, and refresh my memory, is there two sets of votes? First, the one on one date as to whether or not to recall, and then, a, and then a period of time, and then an actual vote, say in November? Same day. On a new governor? I can't remember what how they worked it last time in California, whether it was all at once, or whether it was, you know, okay, we have a recall vote in September... And then we have the actual, like, okay, now we're going to vote for governor in November. Like, is that how they did it, or well, they do it all at once? All at once last time and this time, which is how somebody like Larry Elder could scrape through, a guy who would probably get 30% on the ballot in a regular gubernatorial election there. That 30% could put you over the top if you got a splintered enough thing on the other side. Newsom's going to have not too many, but at least a handful of people probably running at him from the left, which the people like me and you just, you know, really got, you know, makes us scratch our heads. But, uh, you know, be that as it may, that that's how it's going to work out. And that's why Newsom is so panicked right now, because the thumbs down, or the, 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 well, the thumbs up on the referendum to recall him throws it to that, uh, that vote. And, so, so that, that, all right. So I have another follow-up question. Yes. And again, I probably should know the answer to this, but <laughs> I probably just haven't paid enough attention to California. Okay. The mechanics of voting in the last thirty years, the way I probably maybe should have. I don't know. Okay. Um, so if I vote no to recall, do I still get a vote for a new governor, or does the machine like turn off at that point? You know, like in a poll, they go, "Do you intend to do X?" and you say no, and they go, "Thank you for your time." Like, so if I say no on the recall. Do I get to vote in the next? Do I get to actually vote, or do I? Am I done? Well, this is where common sense comes in. It has to be that you do get to vote, and here's why: because that would be. Listen, you'd have Gavin Newsom screaming his head off if that was the case, right? Because all his voters are going to vote no, but then they're going to go and vote for him as a hedge in case it passes. So, just the absence of Gavin Newsom screaming about how his voters are being disenfranchised tells us that that's the way it works. I, I will say, and as, as yeah, far as... Good point, good point. Yeah, as far as inside jokes on this show, by the way, I do know that uh, from a conversation one time, a party over at your place that you were having one time, I do know that a good friend of yours has a keen interest and expertise in California Republican politics. <laughs> so, and that's a shout-out, as I know he's probably going to check out this show, I hope, but... Uh, Anyways, uh, 
as I said before, also 18-game season, so they, they have not yet worked it to where, and I think they may in subsequent years, possibly work a second bye weekend. But as of maybe they won't, though, because as of right now, I think this moves the Super Bowl to, I think, President's Day weekend, which I think, you know, for everybody that's always been whining all these years about how the day after the Super Bowl should be a holiday, well, then you would have your wish, because, you know, for at least some of us out there, uh, we do get President's Day off. So there is that. Uh, it's going to be a longer season, obviously, with the extra game coming in an interconference game, AFC, NFC. Uh, no thoughts, apparently, to trying to do rivalry-type games, like reviving the old ancient NFL-Browns-Lions uh, rivalry. The Browns get the Cardinals, which seems like a really random draw there, unless the league was thinking, hey, two Oklahoma quarterbacks who won the Heisman, which... Knowing them, they probably were thinking that. But uh, anything that you see as far as this season playing out differently because of the 17th game that each team is going to play? Well, I just think it's, you know, these coaches are all faced with the idea of trying to, you know, keep their guys healthy. Um, they've got to play. They've got to play extra. They've got to figure out how to manage their rosters a little different. Um, I'm surprised that the NFL didn't, uh, you know, with an extra game, you know, they didn't move the roster from like say 53 to 55. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I think there's certainly some voices within the NFL, uh, strata that would like to see some changes, um, to some of these things. And like, you know, why limit how many guys are available on game day, for example, right. You know, if you've got a 53 man roster, let the 53 be available and hell while you're at it, let the practice squad be available in the worst case scenario on game day. That's I mean, why limit game day? It doesn't make any sense. Um, so there's been a lot of talk about that, but you know, I don't think overall the strategy is really going to change much at all. Um, just other than, you know, the challenge of managing your roster's health. You may see some coaches, um, especially earlier in the year, during weeks, you know, have lighter practices. I mean, and they've already been moving in that direction anyway. I know in this preseason, we're seeing a lot of teams just flat out saying, we're not even playing our starters or the vast majority of our starters at all. Um, and, and you know what, you and I talked about this last year with the lack of, preseason games, you know, I warned this and you concurred about we were going to see a surge in soft tissue injuries in yep. the first half of the you year, called it. The season, and by God, what did we see? Um, because, yeah, you, you, can, you can, you know, not play and quote-unquote keep people healthy, but when they're, you know, when they're not playing, they're not, they're not truly in game shape. And um, I think you're going to see the same thing this year. You're already seeing it now in these preseason games. Uh, you know, the soft tissue injuries, the hamstring pulls, those things um, seem to seem to abound all over the place. Um, so to me, it's really just going to be about health and how they manage um, getting through the season. Oddly enough, for a team like the Cleveland Browns, with a week 13 bye, that may be one heck of a blessing having such a late bye week. Could be. We've never seen anything like this before. And, uh, yeah, that is going to be uh, an oddity on the schedule, uh, teams being off that late in the season. Uh, but uh, in, in taking a look here and swinging around to the uh, AFC West, or AFC East, I should say, the, which is the focus of this segment here, uh, I'm going to start this off on each of our segments here. This is a feature that we have 
in Fantasy Football Draftology 2021, available on the main page at fantasydrafthelp.com and the fdhlounge.com, uh, our fantasy and non-fantasy guide for the season here. And as part of our preview for the season, I have one run-on sentence for each AFC team. This, these sentences were crafted by me, so I'm going to use these sentences here to just kind of set the table for our talk on each of the divisions. On the AFC East, I'm going to read you off my four run-on sentences, and then we'll just kind of take the teams one at a time. Start with Buffalo. With a shaky running game and a few more holes defensively than most assume, they're still likely the top team in a tough division, but way overblown as a title contender. Miami. For all of the excessive questioning of Tua, now that his passing game weapons are upgraded, it is the questionable running game and a still incomplete offensive line that could relegate the Dolphins to second or third place. New England. Even after an offseason spending spree that patched many holes, albeit at a cost that should compromise the salary cap in years to come, holes remain at wide receiver and linebacker, and the question of when to start the clock on the future at quarterback lingers over this season. New York Jets, with, with another shotgun marriage between coach and general manager, extreme youth at the skill positions, and remaining holes defensively, it's going to be another long season at the Meadowlands. So, in a broad uh, sense, uh, do you more or less agree with the assessments of those teams? Yes, I agree with the first assessment that a Ohio University journalism major running, writing a bunch of run-on sentences is <laughs> very uncharacteristic. Clones. <laughs> um, no, I. You know what? I agree overall with your assessments. Um, um, let me just let me start at the bottom. Okay. Look, the Jets have a lot of holes. They've got a first-time head coach that has does not have a proven track record. Uh, you know, there's some questions about Zach Wilson. Obviously, he's a rookie. Rookies are going to struggle. Uh, so, so right there, that's you know that's a challenge. They, they to your point, they have holes on defense. They have holes on offense. Um, although Wilson looked good in his first preseason start uh, this past weekend, mm-hmm. um, and that's against vanilla defenses, uh, you know, nobody's showing him anything, um, some scripted plays, et cetera. So, you know, it's it's hard. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget, you know, the excitement that people had over Deshaun Kaiser's first preseason start, you know, and it was like, yeah, okay, so he threw for 200 yards and a couple times, no picks, great. Where did that go? So right. um, I would tell Jets fans the breaks so far. Um, so I, you know, no matter what they do this year, the Jets were looking at you know basement status. Uh, you yep. know, in, in this season in the AFC East. To me, the interesting thing is the second and third place. Yep. In the division, um, you've got New England third. I think that's reasonable. Um, I, I think you could maybe argue second, and, and I say that because Miami, I look at last year and how many games Tua struggled in and how many games uh, Fitzpatrick had to come in and sort of rescue them and push them to a victory. He's not around anymore, so it's totally on Tua's shoulders. And I, I'm not, still not sold on him. I know they've upgraded weapons, but to your point, and it, 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 they still have problems on the O line. The run game is still questionable. Yes. Um, and I, more than anything, this is a quarterback league, and I didn't see enough out of that young man last year to give me any confidence. 
Okay. Whatsoever. Um, you know, I like some of the stuff, the pieces on Miami. I like their front office. I like their coach. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if the wheels fell off because Tua struggles, he loses the locker room. The coaches are frustrated because they don't have Fitzpatrick to fall back on, um, and things kind of fall apart there. I, I can see that possibly happening, and, and I can also see, you know, a second-year player figuring it out, improving, and the Dolphins being fine and replicating their their, their record from last year. It, it all comes down to, in my mind, to Tua. I, I just, you know, yes, there's problems on the line. Yes, that the, the the, the, the running game is questionable, but it's all about Tua, and I think that's their biggest problem. And, and I think you, you know, with New England, you know, they they were, you know, not a horrible team, seven and nine, despite the, the, the massive roster holes they had last year. Um, they competed, um, which, you know, speaks to their culture and, and the quality of the coaching. Um, but I got to say, you know, all the sort of, excitement that the, that the press has fawned all over the Patriots in terms of all the offseason spending. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm old and cranky, but I seem to recall forever every pundit always told you you can't build a winning team through just by spending grotesquely in free agency, that it never works. This was always the, this was always the mantra, right? Like, you pick up one or two guys to, you know, to kind of get you over the top if you're competing for a championship. You can't go out and build a whole roster by just going free agency wild. And that's what New England did. And how often has that ever worked, Rick? Well, how no. often has that actually ever worked, what they have what they just did in this offseason? Yeah, uh, hashtag 2019 Browns, never forget. But I, I, I will say, though, as far as it goes, like, look at tight end. They went out and, like, mega splurged to get, I'm sorry, probably the 12th and 13th best tight ends in the league, and now you have both of them at an enormous cost to your cap. I'm sitting here like, wait, what? Yeah. I didn't I didn't understand the spending. I thought it was I thought it was a knee-jerk reaction by ownership and Belichick to Tom Brady winning a Super Bowl. Right. They'll never admit it, but that is not the way you build a franchise, and I got to tell you, my prediction long term, let's say five years from now, is they're going to be in cap hell. They haven't drafted well in the last no, they six haven't. Or seven years. No, they haven't. They've drafted very poorly. Yes, and I think what's going to end up happening is the quality of this roster is going to drop so much that they are going to find themselves potentially bottom of this division in a few years because they will have gone on this strategy of trying to get through with free agents. They'll be in cap hell. They won't draft. And I have a feeling that it's going to end up, this is all going to end badly for New England. Now, in one one or two years, could they kind of make it work? You know, because they've upgraded a few spots, maybe. But I'm not exactly, I mean, is anybody sold on Cam Newton? I mean, right. I, I just, I, the guy's washed, man. Right. He's just washed. And Mac Jones, I don't know if that, that, that staff is sort of old school in this regard. I don't see them starting him, no. at least, you know, while, while Newton's healthy. Right. Um, so Mac Jones is, you know, not going to start till at least the second half. And if he's, if he's starting in the second half, that means the 
Patriots are, are, are not doing well. Right. So, so I, again, I'm, I'm kind of with you on the Miami and New England thing. And I, I think if, for both teams, it really comes down to, you know, two different, you know, it's two in Miami and New England. It's, you know, can these free agents actually um, live up to the the expectations that people have? And I don't think so. Right. So you probably you, you probably have it right. But those two are very interchangeable in my mind in the middle of this division. Yep. Um, they can go either way. They're both going to be middling teams. I don't think either one of them is going to make the playoffs. So uh, you know, in the end of the, at the end of the day, frankly, other than fans of those two teams, who gives a damn? Um, yeah. That leaves us with Buffalo. Buffalo's the class of the division. Buffalo's going to win the division. Um, they have been hyped a little bit too much. To your point. Um, as a Super Bowl contender, they are a Super Bowl contender. But I agree with you. There's some holes defensively. There are still maybe even uh, a couple spots on the O line that you know could take a step back. And they don't have a run game. They yeah. still haven't proven they have a run. No game. run game. So didn't address it. Don't, correct. They didn't address it, and I don't. I don't see them suddenly having one other than their quarterback who can run. Um, so that doesn't. So I think that's going to keep them from getting to the Super Bowl. Um, spoiler alert, when we eventually get around to this. Yep. Um, I, I, I think that's the thing that keeps them from the Super Bowl and uh, without having that run game. so But I do think they win the division. Um, I don't think it's you know I don't think it's going to ever be in doubt that they're going to win that division. They've got great coaches, um, and Josh Allen has really come along as a quarterback. So from that standpoint, quarterback league and smart coaches – um, Buffalo's going to run away uh, with the AFC East. I've actually got them, Miami, and New England all at 10-7. and seven. I have Buffalo winning the division, Miami as a wild card, New England on the outside looking in. So I have it much closer between the three than you do. I have the Jets at 6-11, and 11, and honestly it could be worse than that potentially. But I'm a little bit more of a skeptic on Buffalo than a lot of people are, and perhaps even you, because again, I think these things are going to hold them back and the running game and like, Oh gee, what what could go wrong as far as uh, Josh Allen supplying the running game? Sincerely, RG three. You know what I mean? Like th- that never ends well. So, uh, well, I, I agree with that. You know, fast forward what's to our Lamar Jackson conversation, right? But um, Josh Allen is a you know he's a big boy. He's more Ben Roethlisberger than RG three. So I'm a little less concerned about it from that standpoint. Um, I will say though that I thought they're signing him Trubisky. Concord's own uh, <laughs> um, was actually a great signing because if you talk about, if something were to happen to Allen, he's going to miss a week or two. You look at the system that they run. Trubisky's a guy that could step right in and run their system. So I, I think they actually made a very smart signing, bringing him in to be the backup quarterback. Because if they needed him to for a week or two, um, they don't have to change anything. And um, I think they will be they would be just fine with Mitch at quarterback if they had to in short spurt had to go to him. So um, they're in good hands, I think, quarterback wise. But without the running game, you're not getting to the Super Bowl. I, I think Mitch Trubisky has found his true calling in the league, clutching that clipboard. But uh, again, Concord's own and UNC's own. So I know why you like him, but uh, it's well. Uh, I mean, don't forget something: the guy in Pro Bowl. Mm-hmm. The guy went to the play. The guy went to the playoffs last year. Um, you know, for all his flaws, you know, he's 
won a lot of games in the NFL, and there aren't a lot of backup quarterbacks that actually have done the things that I just mentioned there um, that are available for teams uh, to be able to rely on in a pinch. So for all the for all the heavy criticism that Mitch gets, um, you know, his resume, if you actually look at his record and his numbers, and isn't actually that bad. Well, it's a thing where we, we've seen in recent years, uh, same thing with uh, Haskins uh, and the problems that he ran into in Washington. These guys who only start one year in college, uh, that is a lot of times a cautionary sign uh, when they come into the league and uh, just struggle to kind of get their footing at the next level. So that is something that has uh, led to uh, NFL draft evaluations going a certain way in recent years, uh, largely because of those two guys. And, uh, well, we'll see what happens with Trey Lance in San Francisco, a guy who played like eight minutes at Division One AA. Yeah, that's going to be very uh, interesting when we get to that. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've got Buffalo winning the division as well. And, uh, like I said, Miami as a wild card. And uh, I, I think it, it I've got the division race being a little bit tighter than you do, but uh, I think we, we are more or less in accord on the general order of things in the East. Uh, I will say this, too. Uh, that I think it is the Jets that, and the Jets alone that keeps the East out of the conversation with the AFC Central and the NFC West for best division in football. Because I think if the Jets had a good squad out there, I don't know that this division would be better than the other two, but I think it would be much closer to the other two than it is if not for the Jets. Uh, I, think you're, I, think you're, I think you're giving too much to the Patriots and Dolphins on this. I, I see a step back for the Dolphins this year, and it may be sort of more of the same of the page from the Patriots. So I, I'm just not a believer in those two teams right now. And, and the thing about it is I love a lot of the pieces on the Dolphins. I just place such a question mark on Tua. Okay. Unless, until he can prove something to me versus what I saw last year, I'm just not a believer. Well, it's going to be a critical year, and of course, uh, as I've always said on the show here, the uh, Dolphins are my 1A team, so uh, I root for them anytime they're not playing the Browns, so uh, I will be happy to see a good season for them if and when it comes about, but uh, always great to break down any division in football with you, Chris Galloway. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for this mini-episode of the FDH Lounge. Our next one is going to be a breakdown of the AFC North.